Well, good evening, fam. It's wonderful to see everybody. And man, I'm telling you, it's just wonderful to hear you guys sing. Like, to hear you guys sing things like, there is hope in the promise of the cross. And this hope is the anchor for my soul. My God will stand unshakable. It's just a huge blessing to me to hear you guys sing. And so I just wanted to thank you. Um, tonight, we're going to be uh, continuing our series, um, Our Joy Complete, in the book of First John. We're going to be entering into the third chapter, so if you want to turn there uh, to First John chapter 3 with me, we will go ahead and we will read our verse for tonight. So we're looking at First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and God's Word says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. (laughs) But we know that when he appears... We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Tonight we're going to be considering the concept of identity. And identity is a very important thing, is it not? I mean, who we are really shapes the way we experience and interact with literally everything around us, who we know that we are, or maybe even who we think we are, will drastically, drastically change the trajectory of our lives, both now and even on into eternity. For instance, if you know that you are a strong person, it's, it's very likely that that identity will spur you on to take greater risks than those around you who do not consider themselves strong. Or if you know that you are an intelligent person, there's a greater probability that you will push yourself farther academically. If you consider yourself to be a calm or level-headed individual, you'll probably react better under stress than some of the rest of us do. Or if you're someone who considers themselves loved, you likely have a greater security in life than those who do not consider themselves loved. My friends, who you know yourself to be changes everything about your life, your fundamental identity. The person you perceive when you look in the mirror in the morning steers every single decision you will make. It changes how you respond to every question, every stimulus, every struggle, every stress, every situation changes because of your identity. And today I want you all to ask yourself a question and hopefully we can answer it by the end of my time speaking tonight. And I want you to ask yourself the question, who am I? Who Am I? At the end of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow, what is your true 
identity. And I want to tell everyone here today that there are only two types of people in this world. There's only two identities to choose from and claim as our own, and we're going to look at those two identities today. And just as there's only two identities, there's two factors or truths or realities that determine which identity we claim. And how we respond to these truths we're going to see in God's word seriously matters. And I want to start with the first word that John says in verse 1. He says, see. John calls us to see. And I want to point out that word. Because if you've come today broken and weary or frustrated with your life or or even maybe you even came half-hearted into this gathering. Maybe you feel like you're just going through the motions of life. Or, or maybe you feel like a failure. Maybe, maybe your life right now is, is sin-riddled. Maybe you have some doubts about your identity. You have some questions about who you are. You may feel lost or forgotten in who you are. And today, whether you consider yourself someone who knows God or someone who does not know God, the answer to your question, who am I, starts with a simple act. You must see. You must see. You must open your eyes to behold the answer to your question. You must see and hear what God's word says tonight. And I don't want you to leave here tonight without knowing who you truly are as you walk out the doors this evening. And for you to answer that question, who am I, you must begin to see beyond yourself to truths that lie outside of you, outside of your current situation. You must see beyond yourself. And so I'd like to stop and pray before I continue and just ask that God would open all of our eyes to see in deeper ways what his word is going to reveal to us tonight. Blessed Lord, we love you. And we know that you're the creator of all things. Lord, we thank you that for so many of us, you've given us eyes to see the glory of God and the wonderful things in your word. And tonight... Lord, I just humbly ask that you would lead us deeper into our identities. Lord, that you would show us in deeper ways the reality of who we are. Lord, we know this is an act that comes from you. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, and we plead, open our eyes to see and open our minds to know what you have revealed in your word. Lord, we want to glorify you in this way, and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first reality that we must comprehend is God's love for us. See what John says in verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we This is the first truth that we must see and comprehend that gives us our identity and how we view and how we respond God's love for mankind seriously matters. So many of us have heard John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whoever believes in him, that means trusts, hopes in Jesus Christ will never perish, but instead will be given eternal life. God loves this world he created. But unfortunately, our world does not love God. Most people on the face of our planet do not know or love the God who created this world. Most people live in perpetual sin and rebellion against their creator. Most people worship things other than God like self and money and power and sex and influence and most people have no desire to serve or love God. And this is the first fundamental identity we must encounter. This is an unnatural identity. It's a twisted identity. It's an identity that's opposed to God. It is a lost identity. It is a broken identity. It's cursed, and it's not an identity that many of us would choose if we knew we were choosing it. And yet, it is the identity of the vast majority of the population of our planet. Most of our planet is dead. The Bible calls all of those who do not know God or love God children of wrath, and this is a fearful thing. And yet God in love has offered eternal life to all of those who would cease from worship of self, the worship of idols, the worship of false gods, and would place their hope and faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who died to pay for the sins of our broken and twisted world. God in love offers grace which is an undeserved favor to all of those who would turn from their sin and trust in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Jesus. And now all those who turn to him are given the right to claim as their own a new identity, a new name. They are given the right to claim a new life. And for those who know God, who have been saved by his grace, who have entered into a new life with Christ, there has been a fundamental change that has happened. It is not only a change in what we are, but a change in who we are. There has been a change in our fundamental identity. We have been brought from death to life. We've been spiritually resurrected. Our sins have been forgiven. We are justified in the eyes of God because of Christ's atoning death for us. As Dan read earlier, we have God's spirit alive in us now. We have been regenerated by the grace of God. This is what we are. But who we are can be summed up in an all-encompassing statement that is so miraculously beautiful for all of us who call Jesus Savior and Lord, we are children of God now. Think of that. This is who we are. This is an astounding reality. It's absolutely glorious. It's, it's unfathomably Miraculous when we think about it. Think, those who were enemies of God, 
those who were completely opposed to him, those who were rebelling against him without any justification for their rebellion, sinners without hope, those who hated and despised God are now brought into God's family. It's nuts, guys. It's absolutely crazy. We are washed by the blood of Christ. We are clothed in the very robes of Jesus. We are seated at a feast next to Christ. We share in the family blessings. And now for all of us who trust in Jesus, we are called sons. We are called daughters. We can call one another brother and sister. And our Father God looks down on us and calls us dearly loved child. My friends, the love that God has shown us, it's not a shallow love. It's not a love that ceases. It's not a love that stops or concedes. It's not a love that only goes so far and no further, but a love that endures and a love that assures. It's a love so deep that the only way the Bible can describe it is in human terms as that of a love for a parent to a child. Parents, I want you to think about your children right now, and I want you to consider the love you have for them, the depths of how deep that love goes, the reality that you would throw yourself in front of a bus, you would take a bullet, you would take any kind of torture and pain to save them. This is the way John describes God's love for us. And I want you all to understand that as you consider that love for your own children, God's love for you who trust in Jesus is unfathomably deeper than that. Paul tells us that we have been given God's spirit. In Romans 8.15, he tells us that God's spirit is a spirit of adoption. And now all of us who call on the name of Jesus, who belong to Jesus, we don't simply consider ourselves a member of God's household. We don't just simply consider ourselves to be living under the shelter and the blessings of God. But we have now been given the right to identify as actual members of the family of God. Children who have the fullness of the Father God's heart. This is our new identity. For those who trust in Jesus, you are God's child. And I'm going to keep saying it. You're God's child just as much as Jesus is God's child. And your father who loves you is literally the most powerful being in existence. There's nothing impossible for him. And he claims us as his own. Because God loves us and he's changed our identity because this is the case, that we are God's child, our identity 
is now rooted in God's love for us. I want you to hear me again. If you are a child of God, your identity should be rooted in God's love for you. Nothing about you now trumps this bare reality that you belong to God. Your identity is no longer rooted in your failures. And your identity is no longer rooted in your accomplishments either. Your identity isn't rooted in how well you are known. Your identity is not rooted in how the world perceives you. Your identity is not about keeping up with the Kardashians. Your identity is not about proving that you are good enough. Your identity is rooted in the reality of God's love for you and nothing more. That's it. My friends, for those who trust in Jesus, you have value because God loves you. And you are loved by God because of the bare simple fact that God is gracious and God is loving. There are only two identities, those who know God and those who do not. Those who are dead and those alive, those righteous and unrighteous, those who are children of God and those who are the children of the world. And these two identities are in no way compatible. These two identities are not friends. These two identities do not sit at the table together. You are one or you are the other. John goes on to say the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I know I constantly wrestle with the desire to be loved and cherished by everyone around me. And yet I constantly forget that I am loved and cherished by God. Beloved, we are not children of this world. God has given us a heavenly citizenship. Your new identity and your treasure now lies hidden in Christ in heavenly places. We are sojourners. We are wanderers. We are passing through. And I just want to remind you that this world and everything that it offers you, this is not your home. As a child loved by God, it means that your ways and your outlook and your values and your hope is not of this world. And because of that, this world will not know you. The people of this world do not share your identity or understand what you've become on the very basis that they did not know and do not know our Savior, who is the most vivid display of God's character in love. And I want to caution you, if your identity springs from being known by those who did not know God, you will end up caring more about what the world thinks than what God thinks. You'll end up caring way more about what people who have no compass for the things of God care about you or think about you than what God's word says. 
than how God feels about you or what God thinks you are. You will forget God's affirmation of you in Christ and you will find yourself running after the praise and the affirmation of the world. Brothers and sisters, you are a child of God now. This is who you are. This is your identity. And I beg you, seek no other. The world does not know us. And we can never be satisfied by the things of this world. John has told us that God loves us. That he's displayed this great love because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for this world. But there is also a second truth that we can now lay claim to as children of God, and that is God's promises to us. If you are God's children, you must see God's love for you, but you must also stand, understand that those who claim God's love, who have been ransomed in Christ, for you come a whole host of unshakable promises. Because God did not only save you, but he is also deeply committed to transforming you into his own image. Let's read in verse 2. John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Now follow John's train of thought. Because we're loved, and because God loves us, because his love for us has made us children of God, through his spirit, by adoption, now we can claim these promises as children, as heirs of God's kingdom. God so loves us that he is committed to seeing his glory shine from us. Consider what Paul says in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. I want to remind you, and I'm sure many of you have heard this a dozen times, but if you are a child of God, it is not by accident. It's not a fluke. You didn't wander into the family of God. God handpicked you. God chose you. God set his love on you even before the foundation of the world, before there were mountains or seas, before there was sky, before the stars, before the sun, God chose you to be holy and blameless before him. And God has promised that one day you will be like him. Many theologians have said we live in an era called the now but not yet. There's so many things that have come to pass, and yet so many things we are waiting for fulfillment on. We are adopted. Our sins are forgiven. We're being made into the image of Christ day by day. We are righteous in Jesus. We are redeemed. We are purchased with a price. 
We are justified. The slates have been cleaned. We no longer live under the weight of our own sin. But John says what we will be at the end of our walk with Christ is yet unknown. We don't clearly know what it will look like. We have not realized it yet. We are all still struggling and walking through failure and darkness. And yet John says it will be realized. And we can live with great assurance because John says, but. And I, I love the buts in the Bible. I'm telling you, they're awesome. But John says, but. In contrast to living in this now, but not yet, we can understand the aim of our sonship. We can understand why we were adopted. And it's that we might be made fully like Jesus in character and in purity. And John says this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Does this not give your heart great assurance? As we walk with Jesus now, as we struggle in life with sin and longing, we know that there will be a day when we see, we glimpse Jesus in his full glory face to face and we will no longer struggle. We will no longer fail. We will no longer sin. We will no longer face trials of this life because we will live in the presence of God's glory, knowing the fullness of his love, grasping the reality of our true identities in him. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is near the end of Revelation, Revelation 22. When God is talking about what it will be like when Christ returns and he makes a new heaven and a new earth, and he says he'll wipe away every tear from every eye. And this is the part that gets me every single time and it almost breaks me. It says, the name of the lamb will be on our foreheads. Jesus will be our true identity. I want to ask you, do you feel as though you struggle with this assurance that I'm talking about? Do you feel as though you struggle to believe that God loves you? Do you feel as though as you walk through the trials and temptations and sins and darkness and failures of life that you lack hope in the reality that you will be conformed into the image of God? I want to encourage you that there will be a day where these things pass away. There will be a day when it doesn't hurt. There will be a day where there's no longer need for a healing of the body, of the spirit, or of the mind. And we can be assured that Jesus will change us into his very image. We can have great assurance for this. We can know we are loved by God. But it is entirely possible to know his love, to see his glory, to walk with him, 
and to lack this basic assurance of God's love and promise for us. We can walk with Christ and because of how we choose to respond to God's love or how we choose to respond to promises like this, knowing that God will one day make us whole, it changes everything. We can walk with Christ and we can experience very little change, very little healing, very little assurance, very little hope, and very little joy. And I've experienced those dark seasons and I've been there recently. But I want to ask you the question, what do you think would happen if you chose every single day to believe that you were loved by God? Like if you made that an aim of your life, to simply remind yourself that you are loved by God. What would change if in the midst of the failures and the trials and the temptations and the struggles of life, if you looked at verses like this, that promise that one day you will be in the presence of God and you will be made like him, what would change in the way you saw yourself? What would shift about your identity? What if we decided to remember this assurance every day? What if we actively spent time reminding one another who we are? If we called one another beloved, if we reminded one another that God loves us, if we reminded one another that there is hope, that God will change us, what if we spent time reminding each other that this is a sure promise that's not based on happenstance, it's, it's not even based on whether or not we do well, but the promise that God will change us is based on the very love of God for us, that it was written before the foundation of the world. What would we choose to do? How might we respond? Well, John actually gives us an answer in verse 3 on how we might respond to the reality that God deeply loves us and God is deeply devoted to our sanctification, our change in Jesus Christ. He says this in verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We see God's love for us. We see his promises to us. And our response is to hope in him. Our response to God's love and God's promises is to trust in word and deed that God will absolutely do everything he says that he will do. And John is really talking about us taking an active role in our own change, in our own sanctification, an active role in our becoming like Jesus. Follow his thinking. God loves you deeply and that's not going to change. God's love for you is not going to fail. God's love for you is just as consistent today as it was yesterday and just as vibrant and wonderful and glorious as the day you first trusted in Jesus. God's love for you is not based on your performance but it's based on grace. And God's desire for you is that he would glorify himself by making you look like him. God has promised you that he is going to make you into his image completely. 
And our natural response should be to hope and trust that God actually feels for us what he says he feels for us. And he will actually bring about in us what he has promised to bring about in us. One of the common questions asked of church planters is, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What risks would you take if you knew the outcome was assured? How hard would you push? What realities might you consider if you knew you wouldn't fail? Well, I'm here to tell you guys, God's love does not fail. And a sanctification for you will not fail you. And I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. What will you do now that you know that God will not fail you? What will tomorrow look like with this new reality? And guys, I know it. We all struggle to feel loved by God. We all struggle to believe that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. But here you have it in his word laid bare. What will we do with this reality? What will tomorrow look like? Will we choose to look up and believe in God? Or will we choose to continue to walk in the darkness? I want you to consider with me Colossians as we close. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. It says this. Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. My friends, faith is believing God's word and acting upon it no matter how we feel, knowing that God has promised to bring about a good result. I want to encourage you, have faith in God's love. Have faith in the reality that God is going to accomplish in you exactly what he promised. That Jesus is, in fact, the author and the finisher of your faith. That God is taking us from glory unto glory unto glory. And that he will not fail us. My friends, tomorrow, wake up with renewed purpose. Try again. And keep trying knowing that God will not fail. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. Lord, I'm so glad that when you found me, you didn't leave me where I was. Lord, I'm so glad that you not only saved me and redeemed me, but you are on a mission to make this wretched man shine with the light of Jesus. And Lord, you're on that same mission with all of my brothers and sisters. Lord, I thank you. You are committed to changing us. 
Lord, you're more committed to my change than I'm committed to my change. Lord, you're more committed to my holiness than I am. And Lord, I would be lost without you. And we will be all lost without you. Lord, I want to ask you today, and I pray. Lord, for any of my brothers and sisters who are struggling with assurance, Lord, in the ways that I have in the past, Lord, for any of my brothers and sisters who are struggling to trust that you deeply love them, that your love is unfailing for them, or for anyone who's trusting to believe that you are going to finish the good work you promised, for anyone who's struggling to know that they are a child of God, Lord, I ask that by the Holy Spirit you bring them assurance. And Lord, for those who do not know you, Lord, for those who are far from you, and for those who can't call you Father, who can't call you friend, who can't call you Savior, Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit to them. Lord, that they would repent of their sins, they would trust in Jesus as their advocate, and that they would receive eternal life. Lord, we are all undone without you, and we so deeply, deeply need you. Lord Jesus, may joy rise in our lives. May joy rise as we trust in you. Lord, may joy rise as we set our minds on things that are above. As we elevate our gaze above the brokenness and the failures of life and and choose to trust that you are who you say you are and you're going to do what you said you're going to do. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.